Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease here with you just a few weeks shy of us or November surf and sales event in Costa Rica. Uh, we have one coming up semi early 2022. So stay tuned. Um, excited uh, to speak to our friend Daniel Murray, who's the marketing ops at Service Titan, as well as host of the Marketing Millennials podcast. Before we jump in, quick shout out to our sponsors of Salesforce, Sales, Salesforce for Sales, uh, Vidyard, um, who am I missing, Scott? Uh, Out, Reggie outreach.io, outreach. Reggie.ai. Yeah, I've been, I've been yeah. butchering it lately. So, <laughs> um, But exciting things going on with all of our sponsors. And we've actually got um, some exciting events where they're going to be uh, part of some of our live sessions. So stay tuned for those. Daniel, I guess the first question, Daniel or Dan? No, that's actually a funny question because that's the first question I get from everybody. And I always get the same answer as like, whatever you prefer, just not Danny. <laughs> just not, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, that's my answer too. Do you like Richard, Rich, Rick? You know, and as a kid, Scott knows this. I, I went by Ricky, but um, very few people call me that. Even Scott tries, but it just doesn't. Uh, doesn't I work. usually only say that to you if I'm pissed off at you, I think. Right. Like my go-to. Yeah. Right. Just like my dad. So that's a whole other episode. So, so Dan, talk to us about a little bit about your background, like marketing ops. You know, we don't typically do a lot of marketing people, not for any hesitancy. It's just not sort of the world we always swim in. Um, so give some people some background of what you've been doing in marketing ops. What does marketing ops mean in November 2021? Because I bet it shifted just like everything else in the last 18 months. So fill us yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. So I run marketing ops, which actually I think is close alignment with sales because like I have to be like the the middle person and like the Switzerland between like marketing and sales and that like unbiased third party giving answers to both sides. Um, but what I do is I run all marketing ops and service side. And what that means is I'm like strategic advisor to the the marketing team. So in two different ways, which is insights, which is like reporting, dashboarding, giving key insights on how the business is trending or how channels are trending. And then the other side of it is process. So tech stack, buyer journey, um, and all that good stuff. Like, so process mapping, seeing like what things should integrate with each other, how a buyer goes through our different funnels. So run all that process as service tight end, but it has changed a lot. Like over the, like the last, I would say like five years, like marketing ops has gone from like the support role to like a very big strategic advisor because of data being crazy everywhere. Like all this text, all the, all of technology growing. Like you see like the, those charts where it was like MarTech was at like 1000. Now it's at like 10,000 different mm -hmm. tools. So like, you need someone who can like help piece those the puzzle together for you and has like a bird's eye view that's unbiased. Yeah, the part. I want to, I, I want to dig into some of that, but I, I'd like to back up a little bit. Like, what's a little bit of your origin story? Like, how did you, did you get a degree in marketing? Did you sort of fall into it? You know, sales is a little different. Where a lot of salespeople never chose to be salespeople. Um, I'm the exception to that. I I, I chose it, but. Um, how did you even decide that marketing is where you wanted to spend your time? Yeah. Um, so, and I grew up and my mom was an entrepreneur and she owned a couple of businesses and I was from South Africa and 
she really had like the creative brain. So I would go to work with her and see that that's what she was good at. And like, and I realized like quickly that I wasn't good at sales and I knew like I was kind of the introvert. Like I, I knew I would didn't want to be go because all like roles out of college are like easy to get roles are like BDR roles or SDR roles, but it's really hard actually to get like a marketing job out of college. But in college, uh, I was an entrepreneurship major just to, cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know like my, some of my family's in finance, some of my family's in sales, some of my family's this. And I realized quickly, like I have like the same brain as my mom and, and I like the creativity. I like a little bit of the math side of it, but I like the unstructured side of marketing where like you don't have to, there's no like one way to do marketing where like finance, there's like a formula, you plug it in, like it is, you could be a little creative, but like, that's how I got into it is like, I come from like a really entrepreneurial background and marketing was like always something that my mom, I inherited from my mom because I saw her doing it. So it kind of felt, I've been marketing operations. I, I fell into that because like, I was looking for my first job out of college and I was like, oh, there's a marketing, what is the, this like Pardot role? And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to learn a system. And I got into it and I kind of fell into it. You always like numbers, it sounds like? I was good at them. I don't really, I didn't really know how much numbers marketing would have until I got into marketing. But now I kind of, I think like see the importance of numbers. And I think like in the problem in colleges right now is like, they don't tell you like why you're learning numbers and it's like, like what is the end output? But like, once you start getting into marketing, you understand like you need these inputs to get this out, but like you need to, certain things to happen, certain levers to happen. And that's sales too. You need like certain amount of things to happen to, to get X. Ex- Obviously there's like the psychology side of it, which you can't mm-hmm. like, which, but why like marketing, it's like not only based on numbers, like there's also the human element that changes a lot of everything in marketing where also in sales, it's the same thing. Like people could say like, you make X amount of dials, you get X amount of book meetings and X mm-hmm. amount of this, but they don't I say like the quality and the personalization and stuff like that. So. Gotcha. So how early in the life cycle of a company would you advise people to hire and staff for a marketing ops position? I think this is probably the second hire in the company and the marketing company, the org. I think like the first hire. Second, sec, second hire in the marketing department, you mean? Yeah, in the marketing department. Um, or it either could be the first, like I think mark, some, mark, but the problem is I weary people of saying that because some marketing ops people are very, just very technology focused and come from like that support background. But they are the marketing ops people that I think are like the future marketing ops part people that are very strategic advisors that know the whole business and know like what happens. But I think like the first hire should be a marketing generalist that could like, that knows everything that goes into marketing. And then you need that second person who knows data and stuff. It could be the one or two first marketing hires, I think that you hire in your business. And you, you were mentioning before that it's kind of hard to just break into marketing and get your first, first gig. Let's say somebody is looking to hire a marketing ops person. It's the second person in in the marketing department. Where do I find them? If you're advising me, where do I go find this person today? And what are the specific uh, skill sets or experience that I'm looking for so I so I don't strike out and you know hire the wrong person? 
Yeah, I think I think knowing the right like marketing ops people, like networking with marketing ops people is where you find the best marketing ops people. Um, because I think marketing ops is a very big community. Like there's like those Marketo communities and stuff like that. Like I know a bunch of marketing ops people. Like so it's like knowing marketing ops because it's a tight community, but it's also very like scarce role. Like there's not many people in marketing ops and there's a lot of marketing ops roles open. So it's finding those people, but it's also like looking at like having those connections and then asking like, it's kind of like word of mouth where like you say like, oh, this person, I know this person's connected to this person. Like, should I hire this person or not? And for like qualities, I think there's a mixture of qualities. I think you need someone who understands marketing as a whole like you need someone and this is the key part like like everybody looks as for marketing ops person to be like this person who understands tech stack this person who understands like numbers but if they don't have the the marketing acumen like they don't they the a good mar- they don't have those two pieces to connect the puzzle like they just will be giving you good advice on like how to connect things through systems and stuff like that. But if you have a good marketing acumen and someone who understands marketing and understands demand gen and understands brand and understands at least like at a high level, they can give you strategic advice because they know numbers, they know process, and now they can connect the dots of how your marketing is working. So I think you have to really drill down in the marketing side of them, not only the tech stack side, because tech stack is easy to learn. Um, process is a little bit harder to learn and then like general marketing takes time and experience to learn so they need that marketing experience as well to be good in in a marketing ops role scott we could take everything he just said and put sales ops in for marketing ops and it would almost be it it feels interchangeable to me as well i don't know if daniel agrees or not it's very interchangeable. It isn't very interchangeable. Like if you get a sales up person that doesn't know anything about sales, they're just going to give you advice on systems. Like, or they just yeah. give you advice on like best practice process. But if they've been like the best marketing ops people, sales ops people I've seen have been an SDR. Totally agree with that. Person. Yes. Yeah. 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 Now, do you have a stance on? on who is better suited to kind of move into a rev ops uh, head of rev ops. Is it the marketing ops person, the sales ops person, or does it not matter which department they come from? I think, and I, as a marketing ops person, I'm going to say that it comes from the sales ops person. Cause I think the sales person's like the middle of everything. Um, Mark, I think I'm surprised by this answer, Richard. I, you know There's, what? Uh, Dan, Dan seems young. Like he seems, you know, there, there's this piece about at least younger than you and I. And I have this belief that there's a, a wisdom coming out of the younger generation that they get how it should be. Whereas we always had to fight for how it's supposed to be, hmm. you know? And so I, I agree. I'm surprised to hear it, but I've, that's the, reason, I like the reason I, the reason I say that is I think marketing ops people are going to be going down the path to be like the next CMOs and not the next head of CROs and like the the next because yeah. I think like they have the acumen to like 
know the whole business and connect the dots and work with like the head of RevOps or the CRO to talk numbers, but also talk the whole business where I think like the sales ops people I've worked with have like, they know onboarding, they know like customer success and they know a little bit about, they know pipeline. They might not know like the top of the funnel, like every channel that comes in, but they know like the, what a funnel should look like. So every sales ops people I think are, are like the best rev ops people. Um, I think that like marketing ops actually for me will be like the next CMOs or like leaders in marketing. Um, I don't believe like, I think we think differently than sales ops, like, cause we have to think a little bit more creative. Would you, because- would you ever consider going into a sales ops role for a year or two to understand that world? Mm-hmm. Cause I'd be, I'd be curious. Cause you know, I'd be, I'd just be curious to see like, if there's someone out there that's that kind of unicorn that has done both. Um, yeah, I would hundred you know, which would be ideal for, you know, a revenue ops person. Yeah. I think, I think I would a hundred percent go to sales op, but the reason for me to go to sales op is because I think I want to, for a marketing person, it's so important to understand like the whole buyer journey and like things like what, salespeople actually go through and like the process of sales and stuff like that. And I think not enough marketing people do that. Like they go and understand and talk to the salespeople and actually understand the parents. I agree. I think, I think there's, I think it's getting better that, you know, marketing wants to hear what's happening on the street in these conversations. Right. So all the tools that are out there to help sales, like they can now snip it out a part of the conversation to marketing or engineering or product engineering and stuff like that so that people can have that access. But I agree. It, it would be beautiful. And I, and what I meant to say was that, you know, someone who's done both could be a, an amazing CRO. Um, you know, do you think a CRO needs to have been in an ops role at any point? Or have you, I don't know, I don't know what your exposure is to CROs at this stage. Maybe you don't have enough. Um, I, I think, I think they, like what we talked about at the beginning, I think they needed to be a salesperson that was good that ended up going into operations then then became, I think they need both. Like, cause I think like I've seen CRs that are so like sales minded that they, they just don't know how to look at numbers and data and like budgeting and stuff like that. So I think you need some operational mind. It doesn't mean like they have to be in the role, but they should deeply have work with operations and understand operations instead of just being like knowing sales a hundred percent. Cause I think, but also I think like the best salespeople are like operationally minded too. Like they understand process. They understand like, like systems. And I, I even think the best, like, like VP of sales are like that too. Like the ones that I've worked with, like deeply understand process and systems and, data um so, as well as the human side of it so, someone should write a book about following the process <laughs> i didn't write it about uh marketing ops though richard right. um so you mentioned like the vps of sales that you work with what are your do's and don'ts in terms of advice for a vp of sales and how to interact with the marketing ops person and and vice versa flowing the other direction um I think the big don't that I see a lot is like 
is like playing the blame game on each other. Like a lot of people play the blame game. Like, oh, they didn't create enough pipeline so we can close or they didn't close enough. But I think like the best ones I've seen are like the best friends. That's like, I think the best advice I have is like, like you need to sit down and have sit down and agree on the goals you have with each other make the plan together make like so you under like agree upon things together so everything is like working towards a common goal like the best teams i see is like like if revenue if like sales are down like marketing feels terrible and if if like pipelines down sales like like feels terrible with like they have like this like empathy for each other where like the ones i see that aren't like they they didn't agree upon a number they play the blame game like they didn't create enough pipeline that's why we're not closing up oh we they didn't create enough sales oh like this is like if you agree upon like what a quality lead is what a quality op is what a quality like what is icp like what number do we actually believe we're going to hit then it becomes like this like you're just working together and the machine works better when there's like the top and bottom are working together where like i think it breaks when like there's a disconnect on like what qualified is to one one side and what the number should be for the other side so like been in those i've been in those conversations before richard and yes they're they're not very fun no no so it's you know like i'm sitting here it's like the romeo and juliet right like you know the people want them to work together or 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 you want them to be married they want it you want it to work out yes but it doesn't right they end up killing (laughs) each other they end up committing joint suicide so um what I want to, you know, you mentioned earlier, right before we joined that, you know, you grew up in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what brought you to the States? Um, and I am, I'm also curious about, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't know what age you came here, what you think the differences are about business in, in these two countries? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great question. Like, um, so I came young from South Africa. I left in like it's at the age of seven, but my mom had a business there and she decided that like we were safer and would have more of a path of growth in the United States because like you kind of have a choice to do whatever you want here. And she wanted to give us like that freedom to do that because she saw like how like the country was changing over there. Um, so which is funny because like South Africa, like just talking to South Africans about like business there, like it's very like they, they think like they really think that marketing doesn't work in South Africa, even though like they, they, they call like Coke, Coke, like, and stuff like that. Like, 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 like they they think it doesn't work, but it does work on them. What do they call it? Say that again. It's like, like they will say like a, coca-cola like and like like the things but it's a cold drink there but they call like they'll be like could i have a coca-cola like they only think of like coke products like but they think like brent marketing doesn't work on them but it's like coke products you're like talking about a brand and there's brand everywhere like i'll go to mcdonald's and stuff like that they they're very big a brand but like they believe like out of most countries like my mom's business was built like hugely on like relationship building more than like business like businesses here are built on that but like they use more marketing but like in south africa they, it's like they have a more long-term yeah. lens a more long-term view like they're not as 
they're not looking for crazy like growth straight away exactly exactly like it's more like long-term relationship building like build it like going to like going to think like when my mom built her businesses was like building it through like meeting people meeting people meeting people like going to events with them going to like building like it was like a very community like people work together like I think like everybody had a common goal like that there was success spread out like at least in my mom's business what I saw like from what I see from and from South Africans that I talk in marketing that I've talked to they say like it's hard to like they if they got marketing they probably would explode a little like their their like businesses more there because like they're kind of behind in like like other countries of like like all the marketing technology out there and Facebook ads and stuff like that like some companies get it um, but you don't see many like smaller companies like growing there because it's so long term growth like that people build their companies on from like like from like scratch like they build it through relationship building and those companies have like the brand of like trust long term so you um, you've done a good job building relationships in a brand on multiple platforms and I don't know if you know this Richard but in addition to Daniel's LinkedIn presence um he's got a truckload of followers on on Twitter as well he's super active there how do you view the purpose of each of those channels and and which one has been more productive you know for you and and why that's a they played they both play different roles in my I think Twitter to me is more of the market community vibes like i feel like i'm in a marketing community in twitter and i know who the marketers are and i know who to chat with and i know who to drop into the conversations with and like have conversation is like they call it like marketing twitter like i don't i never heard like linkedin like mar- like marketing linkedin like i've never heard of like that term like i know who the marketers are but there's no like i feel like linkedin is not a community vibe but linkedin is very good I like building your presence and building your personal brand and showing like who you are and showing like your, your social proof of like what you've done in your career and your knowledge base. But I think it's less of a community in LinkedIn and Twitter is a community. That's why I like Twitter. Cause I can, I also learn a lot from a lot of people. So like Twitter is like my learning platform. And then like LinkedIn's kind of like this personal branding, long-term play, like people being out in the market, like people understanding who I am. Like it's more of like this, like a different vibe for me where I just put out things and let people find me kind of marketing. Um, Where Twitter is like, I'm deep in the community there. Yeah. Do you find, um, do you find that marketing people, you know, do marketing people give out their advice more on Twitter than LinkedIn? Cause that's what, you know, that's what Scott and I do. And a lot of, you know, if you think about some of the people who are on there, we're always talking about some best practice or, you know, some insight. Um, Scott's gotten better at doing Twitter. He sort of likes to test some things in Twitter before he puts it out on LinkedIn. Um, but it feels, at least from my perspective, it's harder to make the connection on LinkedIn in, I mean, on Twitter on sales, but how do you see, is it just the marketers, they don't have the time like salespeople mm-hmm. will put into LinkedIn. So Twitter's easier and faster. 
Yeah, I also think like, yeah, I like Twitter's like snippets, like quick. And it's easy to, I think it's also easy to reach who you want to like your community there because it's like, like they see each other talking like and LinkedIn, I like the algorithm so bad that I can't even see like Margaret's posts half the time. Like the people I want to see who's posting, I can't see like the posts half their time. So it's like, it would take me forever to scroll around where I have to like, when I first started LinkedIn, like I had like 20 bookmark people that I had to go look at their profile every day to make sure I saw like their content, like, and engage with their content and stuff like that. So I think, but what I do like about LinkedIn is you can, you can get depth to content, but now Twitter, like the good people on Twitter are making threads. So like the threads are like snippets of quick advice that I think are very digestible and cool and good like that. But I do see, I also do see like good content on LinkedIn, but I think like out of most, at least like in Twitter, I think it's more like people are more like critical on that platform where like LinkedIn's a little bit of like an echo chamber sometimes. Like there'll be one or two people disagreeing with your thing, but sometimes I'm like, like people are just like, yay, cool. I love that. Please like, come in and disagree with our stuff. Scott loved, <laughs> Scott and I love that. You know, my Scott, you know, Scott likes to Scott as much as he hates getting them. He does like the nasty grams as he says, right. He likes to <laughs> cause a little controversy. Uh, I just so don't enjoy going back and forth and debating the way right. you do. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. I think, I mean, that's a, I mean, at least Scott has built his brand on like, I think like, he likes to have different views and stuff like that and have controversy, which is good to have a brand like that. Like, I think the best brands stand for something like the people who aren't branding themselves very well, aren't standing for something. And I think like, like Peep Laha does this too. Like he's very controversial online, but like some people love his style and some people hate his style. Chris Walker has like a very, like style where he is very controversy against a lot of things, but it works because he's going against the grain. I think going against the grain is important in marketing and marketing forever. It's like go against the grain, like stand for something. Like you can't be make everybody on the platform love you. Like you're is any is do you do you take that philosophy and apply it at all towards the millennial marketing podcast? Is that part of of the aim of the work? that you do there at all to, to give voice to differing ideas and, and bring in people, you know, who aren't just going to utter the same platitudes that everybody else will. Is that, yeah. is that the part of it? The part of it is like getting people who actually give you actionable advice, like, like instead of these people who are just spitting out the same thing that everybody else is spitting out. So I try to find like people who I know, have a different view on something or have a, a thought like actual something that someone can come to the podcast and take away something and they can apply it tomorrow in their business. Like, like I think best, like best practices are always like, are in some, some functions, like their best practices for a reason because everybody uses them. And now like, they're kind of washed out like you need yeah. some like variant views there like yeah well best practices work like you said until everybody's doing them and now they're no longer best practices so the best practice always has to evolve it kind of has to be a living breathing thing 
don't you think? Yeah, exactly. And that's why, that's why I, even like in sales, like, like right now, like I, like I'm seeing like a shift in like, like sales because like for BDRs and stuff, like, like five years ago, I would answer a BDR email. Like, and now like everybody's doing the same thing and I get tons more because there's more SaaS companies and all this stuff out there that it's like, they not, not many people are breaking through the noise like very well. Um, And like they need, like, and that's best practice, but they, they were, they were taught like, okay, you need to send X amount of things in your sequence. And this is right. the email template and everybody's still using that yeah. same thing. I mean, marketers about, are doing that too. I talked about this yesterday, Richard, where, I, where I, I posted about how it's not good. It's not a good idea to schedule, send all your emails for eight o'clock on Monday morning. It's like, yes, somebody, somebody taught everybody that. Somebody said, hey, don't send people messages on the weekend or Friday afternoon or whatever. Schedule, send them all for 8 a.m. You'll get to the top of the inbox. The problem is, Daniel, me, you, we get 46 emails at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, fuck this. And I just nuke all of them. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd actually, I'm going to actually turn this around on Daniel and ask this question because I mean, long time ago, there was a company, I think they're still around. Yes, where? I don't know whatever happened to them. And they were certainly one of the, the originals of, of a sales loft outreach. And they did some amazing studies that talked about sending emails on Saturdays and Sundays, that you do send emails on Sunday nights because everybody's sitting in their office or at their home doing whatever it is, cleaning out their inbox for Monday morning, right? Like, and they ran a bunch of data on it. I haven't seen any new data on that in the last few years, but I, I wonder if it still holds true because you're also while they're cleaning out their inbox, you're also getting a slightly more undivided attention, right? Like they are focusing on what's in their email. So you're catching at that, mi- at that right mindset. But I am curious, Daniel, um, do you guys track this kind of stuff, whether it's marketing side or, or sales side? And what are you guys seeing as the best practices, knowing that a service Titan client or prospect is going to be very different than you know Richard Harris trying to get to a VP of sales type person, right? There's some role stuff there. Have you guys done data on that? I mean, for us, yeah, a little bit, because it's like, we, we know like, like service time clients, like, especially early in the morning, like early, early in the morning, because they're going to go into jobs and they're going to go like, go out to work. It's like, think of a plumber, like they're going to start their business. And the only time they get to check their email is like actually before work and after work. So does that mean like 6 a.m.? Like, yeah, like early, by the way, we're not early. saying everybody starts spamming at 6 a.m. No, I mean, like, yeah. it's it's like we started shifting like our like STRs and BDRs and stuff like early in the morning because we noticed that like that's when they're like on the phones. And you have to, to shift early for East Coast, too, because yep. they're starting early, too. So you have to like hit people at those different times because like, you know, like once they start working, especially these smaller like plumbing shops, like they're they don't have time for it that and especially getting calls there because they're very like relationship like i'll pick up a call or a text message type of person like so right. learning like that those type of things but just like seeing like their their interactions of like them like oh like being more receptive early in the morning or like later at night when they have time to do things where like a busy person wouldn't do that like for me as a mark, I like to reach me, like 
probably like early in the morning or later probably wouldn't work that well because like I honestly don't want to check my email after like I'm done with work but like maybe like reaching me out on like LinkedIn with like a good message not like the crappy spammy ones like you've read my content and savvy salesperson who's doing some research to understand their buyer and who they're trying to reach if I'm trying to sell to Service Titan and Daniel is in my, you know, cadence or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm listening to the things that he says. I'm reading the things that he writes. I stumble upon a podcast episode like this and he's like, listen, I don't want to check my email after five. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Mornings work for me. I hear that and I'm like, I will do exactly what he just said to do. And that's how I'll get through. And if yep. you pay attention to things that, that I say, like, don't email me at eight o'clock on Monday morning, right? That's the, that's the way that you're supposed to, to operate. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong, Richard? It's personal, no. depending on the preferences and needs of the person you're trying to sell to. I mean, you're making, you're making a good point too. Like, I think sales has turned into like the quant- quality over quantity, like talk. Like, I think like it's talk. Definitely like, shifted. Yeah, because like for me, like the people who actually have like engaged with my content, read my stuff, like had something have more of a chance to getting on a meeting with me than someone yep. who just sends me an email like out of the blue. Like, let me be honest, like I, everybody has like some personal interest that you've read their content, you've studied like what they do, like you you, you shout out that they played football at University of Cincinnati. And I saw that you have a podcast and I saw that. I love the podcast episode about X where you said X, Y, and Z. Like that shows that you actually took time to get to know me and, and I'm a human being instead of a number in your sequence. Like, yeah. I want to I shift because you, you've you got an amazing podcast, right? Let's talk about it. Um, it is called, wait, let me make sure I, uh, Marketing Millennials Podcast. So uh, Scott and I are not allowed to go. Scott could probably sneak in just under the wire. Um, Sort of I, I, think I, I think I could get a hall pass to that. Right. So I'm, I'm way too old. Um, talk about, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody for a while, everybody's been wanting to do a podcast and I'm seeing more and more people doing them. What makes a, a successful one? Like what are the things you can do aside from hopefully having good guests like you? What are the things people don't know about a podcast that they should know to grow um, from a demand gen growth perspective, that, that perspective? How much like a, a personal brand creating a personal brand matters when you're creating a podcast? I think people underestimate like that you have to do things on besides the podcast, otherwise nobody's gonna find it. Like what? Uh, like what do you mean? Like I like the way why my podcast is growing is I I built my personal brand first, and then I just I I got I was able to get good guests because of that because I built my part personal brand, and then that allowed me to get more guests. And then when I, I built an organic channel of like the market millennials page on LinkedIn, that grew to over a hundred thousand followers. So then like organically people are just seeing me in the marketing millennials in the feed. And I'm not talking about like marketing millennials. I'm not even showing my podcast half the time. And people are just like, it's popping up in their head. Like, all the time like oh i see someone shared marketing millennials post i shared like someone like marketing millennials post so i'm doing something organically on the side that it is nothing about my podcast it's just everything about my the brand and the brand is what's carrying the podcast for more and more listeners because when i started growing my organic channel of the marketing millennials of like 
that's why there's people underestimate like social media is like you grow like the organic channel and people are doing this like big podcasts are doing this on tiktok and stuff like that like you see like the controversial dave portnoy or stuff like that he's posts on tiktok it goes viral and then more people go to the podcast you, you there's so many organic channels that you could build around and brand around and i think people think less that there's a brand behind a podcast it's not only a podcast you have to create what you're the feeling yeah. of what you're trying to have for the podcast we, we've been talking about that too because you know the way i say is you know your podcast is really an asset right? Because mm-hmm. it can turn into videograms and audiograms, the podcast itself, a blog post, good ones can turn into eBooks. Like, you know, they can, you know, they can turn into to micro content for Twitter or LinkedIn, you know, there's, you know, there's a thousand things we could tweet out right now based on the things you said and the notes we're taking. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the part of that is, you know, the amount of time it takes to do that, right? Like you really need yeah, and I you think either, you either got to enjoy geeking out on it late at night if you're building your own podcast, or you got to find someone to help do that. Yeah, and I think the other piece that people are missing is like you have to build, and you you all you both do this well. It's like build a community around your podcast. Like you need to build like something that's outside your podcast or inside that it's a community because community, I like you see this in like like you build a niche like the market millennials has become like a place for marketers to go to get market simple marketing advice and actionable marketing advice that is quick easy to digest so like if you build like that feeling and community where that's a place where i can go to get x y and z no matter if it's on your podcast or it's on your linkedin page or your twitter page or your your youtube channel like that's where i know to go to go do that like you you do, you think of your podcast less as a podcast than you think of it as like a brand that I could do other stuff. And I think a lot of people just think of it as like a podcast. Like right. you need to think of it as like a brand More and a community. Extension of your brand. Yes. Exactly. It's not a podcast. The podcast is just a vehicle of delivering information. To it's someone. just an asset creator. Yeah. Yep. There you go. It's a distribution channel. That's all it is. And like, you can't think of it as anything else than that. Like you're just, just one piece of like the overall brand, like surf and sales is one, like this podcast is one piece of what surf and sales actually is. Like, it's just part of the brand. It's not like, cause you know, you know, as like salespeople, like not many people, maybe some people will listen to this podcast right now, but somebody will, somebody who doesn't have the time will be on LinkedIn listening or they don't have enough time. They want to get a snippet on Twitter on like the podcast, or they don't have enough time. They'll go on YouTube and you know, your audience is not only listening to podcasts. So you have to distribute on other channels. That's why a lot of podcasts don't win because they just think of it as like a podcast and it's one, it's a company. It's like an asset like that. I just use there. Like it's yep. nothing else. Scott, this is this is everything we've done wrong. We should talk to Daniel on episode four. <laughs> <laughs> we've done we've done okay. We've done okay. We've, we've done, done okay. okay. There's a kudos, lot of things kudos to Richard for for pushing me to do the podcast as an extension of the surf and sales events and, yeah. and summits and brands. So. Well, cool. Hey, Daniel, thank you so much for for joining us. A quick shout out to Vidyard Salesforce for Sales Outreach dot. AI and um, or outreach.io and reggie.ai uh, for joining us and being our host, our guest. 
Oh my God, I'm butchering stuff today. Between this, yes, Richard and my- has been partying at Saster for this like 48 true. hours, this which you know true. he's deprived. Right, Scott, sleep give, give, a proper, give a proper yeah. shout out to our to our <laughs> to our to our oh, sponsors. That's the word, right? Yeah. Well, you know, if you're looking to grow your SaaS business or any kind of business, you should probably check out Salesforce, Sales Cloud, Outreach, Vidyard, and Reggie. They're good friends and supporters of the Surf and Sales events and of ours personally and great, great sponsors of the uh, show. Daniel, appreciate you being here. What can we do for you? What questions do you have for us? Yeah, I think one of the first questions I have is like, what would you tell like a marketer to be build a better relationships with like a sales leader or sales AEs? Like, what would you tell marketers? How can we build the relationship and make it better for a better partnership. I have I have two responses and reactions. The first one is internal, meaning the people that you work with. <clears throat> um, spend time with them. Have I mean, if if you're in office, this is like going back to 2019 and before. But like, go have lunch with them. Like the best thing you could have done with me if you were working with me and I was the VP of Sales would be to like just be friendly with me. It's like. Don't be intimidated. Go sit down, have lunch, have a chat, ask about the things that are blockers for me. So you understand where my frustrations are and think to yourself, what might I be able to do or contribute to remove those kinds of things? And if you have that kind of servant approach with the sales leader or the the sales reps, I think that goes a long way to building that bridge, right? And then make sure that the door is open for them to approach you and, and say the same thing. So that's kind of internal is just put forth effort, spend time with them. External is, I think you, I think people need to get out and have more uh, conversations and interactions and debates a little bit um, in this whole kind of arena. So the things that, that you do, for example, coming on a, a sales, primarily sales focused podcast and having conversation, engaging with salespeople and sales leaders content, networking with them. Think about bringing in sales or revenue leaders into a marketing podcast and finding commonalities and things to to discuss there. Um, And so, you know, you're just building a larger kind of support system and network of people and resources to tap into if you do those things. Those are the things that are on my mind. Richard, what about you? Yeah, I think the agreed with everything Scott said. And, you know, I get super tactical where I think it's around case studies and use cases. Um, You really want to, you know, when you go talk to these reps, you know, say, what kind of case studies do you need? Right. And you look at it from several different angles. One is around the pain you solve, not just the story you tell about what you do. Right. And I think that's the one place where marketing, I think, really gets sales when they do good case studies because they're like, they recognize, oh, Scott was trying to solve this problem. Right. So now they're painting this picture. And then somehow that gets a little lost in translation in other parts of marketing on the website or other places. So I'm all about the pain. Um, So I think more case studies and use cases are always a key piece because it encourages that dialogue Scott's talking about. Right. And it's, it's, it's not only what do you ha- when you have that conversation, well, what can I do with it? How do I support them with that? And it's a case study, right? Um, I think that's the first thing. I think the other thing is, you know, some ride-alongs. 
right? Like once you have a relationship with a rep, ask them if you can just come in and sit and just listen, not participate, just listen to what the customer's saying and how they're saying it. And, and then, you know, do a debrief with them, uh, with the salesperson. Uh, and then at some point also talking to more customers, like that's the piece, like, you know, and then comparing that, Hey, this is what our customer said. Is that what you heard? Like when you actually spoke to them. <laughs> so I think that's a big piece. I think the other side of it is, um, particularly on the marketing side is spending time with customer success because sometimes they're going to have the deeper story, right? And they're certainly going to have better access to well, what happened after the sale, three months, six months, nine months later kind of stuff. So I, I think you're sort of looking at the whole revenue machine that way. That's interesting. Uh, Cause like I, how many salespeople do you think actually like, like, like look at when they're making a sale, like how successful someone's going to be nine months down the line, like in the product, like. I think, I think, I think everybody, if compensation is aligned in such a way that the customer's best interests are, um, you know, at the forefront Mm -hmm. of what everybody's doing. I, I think if, if they, if it's not communicated to salespeople at all and they're not incentivized at all, you can create this kind of, churn and burn customer type process where you just yank deals over the line. Right. So here's the thing. I was at Saster, you know, I actually learned at least one thing from Mark Roberge Mm -hmm. and he talked about, and HubSpot's different. He acknowledged it's it's a different cut because it's a seat license situation, but you know, they would pay their reps more on the expansion than the deal, right? Because they were seeing that people were signing for hundred seats than only using 70. So the renewal would come, but it would go down. So he'd rather pay the reps for five. Let's get the five because, you know, these big companies all say, well, let me do five of them first. I want to test it. So pay them that, but then pay them more on the expansion. And so I think that's a really interesting place um, as Scott was bringing it up on the compensation side. And if marketing understood that and, and it was agreed upon, there, there'd be an interesting dynamic occurring there. Yeah, I think one thing that I got out of this is pretty good is like, you need to, you can't even, the alignment is not only marketing sales, you have to align also with like the upsell, like the, everything needs to be aligned because like, yes, because like, even like the marketing goals, like that you can, whatever you say top of funnel to, to messaging is going to get translated to like what the sales rep has to say. And then and then like if you're saying like promising like 40% growth in the first year and they get 10% yeah, growth. You just made screwed. a mess for the customer yeah. service team. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's right. like that false promises you make that the first touch could screw a whole relationship um, down the line. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, those are my questions. But yeah, I just right. wanted to get your perspective on that. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show. Daniel, let us know if we can ever be helpful to you. Good luck with the podcast and good luck to Service Titan as you guys continue to grow. Cool. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. Nice meeting you both in person. Finally, this has been awesome. Likewise.